From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. Maybe I just ask a question every now and then, and that person can find a connection. Before you know it, they have had something revealed to them, and it makes me go, wow. I'm not sure God even needed me here right now. You know, this person just connected in a new way. All we were doing was talking about fishing. And all of a sudden, that person, like, tears welled up in their eyes, and they found something that just gave them life and meaning. And for me, I go, wow, look at the way Jesus showed up today. You know, (laughs) it's good stuff. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. Longtime listeners will know that we've had Rick Lee James back on the show several times before. He is a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. His recordings include the 2021 singles Shine a Light in the Darkness and You Are My Salvation, as well as 2019's critically lauded album Thunder, 2016's Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, and the 2013 live release Basement Psalms, among others. Rick Lee James's book, Out of the Depths, a songwriter's journey through the Psalms has been used as a textbook for the National Praise and Worship Institute at Trevecca Nazarene University, and he has been a contributing writer to Worship Leader Magazine, Holiness Today, and the Gospel Music Association. As a podcaster, James has hosted nearly 500 episodes of his podcast, Voices in My Head, a show featuring interviews with such leading singer-songwriters as Andrew Peterson, Sarah Groves, Keith Getty, Michael Card, and Paul Balash. He also hosts Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast celebrating the life and legacy of Fred Rogers. Rick Lee James, I am delighted to have you back on Things Not Seen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad to be back. Well, we've got a lot to catch up on since the last time that we were together. The last time that we were here, we were talking about your album Thunder and also about the podcast that you had just recently launched then, Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast. Since that time, you have moved and expanded your ministry into chaplaincy. And so we'll be covering all of that today, but I also want to make sure that listeners know that you've just recently released another single called As I Walk These Halls, which is based in your chaplaincy experience. We're going to get to all of that in this conversation, but maybe first as a place to start, why don't you tell me and my listeners what you've been up to for the last couple of years? All right. Well, I'm glad to do that. I'll try to make this as succinct as I can. You've actually had a part in this process. And really over the last couple of years, (laughs) the world changed for everybody, didn't it? It really did. Yeah. And my goodness, just nothing has been quite the same. We've gotten echoes of the past, but it's not been exactly the same since. Some things probably are for the better. We've been a little more connected in some ways, I would say, due to being 
confined to homes for a while, but we've found ways to communicate and reach out. But somewhere around last year, I thought I was just going to continue making music, touring, writing, all that. And when the pandemic hit, everything stopped. It was like no more concerts, no more appearances. Every now and then I would put out some radio things, but there was nowhere to play them other than (laughs) on the radio. So everything dried up. And throughout the whole course of it, I knew that that God had been speaking to my heart about something. And I had what I can only describe as a holy restlessness that I knew I was supposed to be pursuing something. I wasn't sure what it was. And I received an email that said something about chaplaincy in it. And I really didn't give it a lot of thought at the time. Matter of fact, I think it was a junk email, but I wondered how I even got on the list. But apparently, somehow, divinely, I received it, I think. And the word chaplaincy just would not leave my mind. I didn't know why that was. I had never really thought about chaplaincy. I didn't know what it entailed. I just thought this was something that people did that figured I probably did the work of a chaplain already, being a pastor at a church all these years. Little did I know, though, I couldn't sleep. I started in the night. I felt like I had to pursue it. I did an internet search under chaplaincy, what the requirements were. And wouldn't you know it, the very first site that came up was Loyola University. And I thought, hey, I have a friend that teaches at Loyola, and his name's David Dalt. He has this podcast, and he co-hosts a podcast with me called Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers Tribute Podcast. And I thought, you know, I ought to call David and see. And you will remember that call, I'm sure, where we talked, and I almost told you what I'm telling all the listeners now. I said, I just feel this uneasiness, this restlessness that I'm supposed to pursue looking into chaplaincy not knowing what it is. And I remember your words that day were so important to me. I don't remember word for word what it was, but you had told me you were going to pray about it with me and that Loyola did in fact have a chaplaincy program, that your wife was actually, had been a chaplain and that you really felt like I should probably pursue this, that maybe you thought I had some gifts for this, which I didn't see for myself. I, until recently, I still didn't see those gifts. So long story short, I applied for Loyola University and in the Institute of Pastoral Studies program thinking they will never accept me. My grades were probably not good enough in college 20 years ago when I was in college. So I'll just try it. That'll be the end of it. God doesn't have this for me. When you know it, Loyola accepted me. And I went in full of anxiety, very high anxiety on that first class. I remember thinking, what am I doing here? I'm, you know, I'm over 40 years old. I'm starting my master's degree and don't know what I'm going to do here. And I remember that first class with Dean Jones. And one of the first things he said was, we are here to help you discern where God is leading you. And we care about what you learn, but more than anything, We want to be a part of helping you discern the voice of God. And that meant so much to me. And little by little, my anxiety level just kept sinking lower. And I started feeling like, hey, maybe God really is in this and calling me towards this. So I'll skip the longer part of the story and just say, 
I entered a CPE program. I applied for one pretty local to where I live in Kettering, Ohio. I live in Springfield, but the uh, CPE internship was for this past summer at Kettering. And CPE, if listeners don't know, it's clinical pastoral education, and it's four units are required to graduate from Loyola. And it really gives you the experience of being a chaplain while doing it with others in your peer group, journeying with each other, and also truly getting to know who you are in the midst of it and focusing on what God is doing in your life. So I thought I was going to be heading back to Loyola in the fall, but it turns out they invited me to apply for the residency program, which I did, and I was accepted. So for the next year, I'm going to be a resident chaplain at Kettering Health and yeah, just finished with the summer intensive, which was intense. And uh, now this year long program I'll be in before I go back to finish my classes at Loyola to finish the full degree. So hopefully that catches everybody up and wasn't too boring, but that's been what's been going on in my life. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're delighted to welcome back to the show today our good friend Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and currently chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He's just recently released a new single called As I Walk These Halls, which is based in part in his experience as a chaplain during his intensive summer residency. We'll be getting into all all of that as our conversation continues. Rick, I want to make sure, because you, you said a moment ago that you thought at first that because you had been working as a pastor all of these years, you had the chops to be a chaplain, no problem. And then you said that very quickly you realized that wasn't the case and that you did in fact need to build some new skill sets. For listeners that may have heard the word chaplain and may attend church and kind of know what a pastor does, help us understand what are some of the skills, what are some of the duties of a chaplain that make it different from what someone standing up in front of a church leading worship is called to do? Well, that's a, an excellent question. And I think the best way for us maybe to think about it is chaplaincy deals much more with spirituality, whereas often church work deals with religion in some ways. And I'll try to explain that as, as clearly as I can. Oftentimes, church work deals with proclamation. You're You're getting up and you're if you're a pastor, you're speaking a lot to congregations. If you're a music minister like I am, you're proclaiming through song and you're finding ways to speak. And you can do things where your congregation as well, if you're leading in a, a liturgy, the congregation is proclaiming back and there's almost this back and forth that happens. In chaplaincy, it's not that it's not the same thing, but it is a different animal too, in that really what spirituality is is it's kind of a cousin to religion. Spirituality has more to do with finding where we make meaning. And, you know, oftentimes we think of the word spiritual, and I think we almost think it's this ethereal thing that you can't touch, that's people lighting candles and having seances or something when we think in spiritual. But it really, to sum it up, it really is trying to help connect people to where they find meaning. Because we believe in that, at least I do, specifically as a Christian, I believe that when we are connecting with those things, we are helping to connect them with God. Because people experience, I believe, what we would call Christ through the Holy Spirit 
in a multitude of different ways. And I'm not trying to like be heretical about that at all. What I mean is that sometimes we come and we say in church, it's all about this relationship with the Lord. It's really about where you connect. Even if you read someone like Thomas Merton, you're going to find a lot of connections with how do you connect with the divine, things like that. And so it's not dissimilar from that, except sometimes the way that people connect, some people are going to go outside in the woods and they will find such meaning and they will find a way that like, wow, I can't describe this as any other way, but this gives me life and it's giving me meaning and I'm connecting and somehow I'm finding God in this. Some people may find that at their local comic book shop. They walk in and they discover, hey, these stories are, you know, and the people that I'm around, these things are giving me meaning. And so sometimes what I'm doing, I feel like as we are walking in the chaplaincy with spirituality, we're doing a lot of listening. We are trying to just be with the patients, allow them to tell their story. And instead of witnessing to them, we are being a witness to them. And we are helping to see them and hear them and listen for the places where they are finding meaning. And if the chance arises, helping them to connect that meaning to the God that loves them so dearly and help them to find healing through that. We believe, especially with Kettering where I'm at, that spiritual healing is just as much a part of the physical, the mental, all these different parts that when a person is in the hospital, when they're sick, you know, we may only be one small component to them getting better, but this may be an essential component. Sometimes doctors will say, to us in the hallway, I think they need to talk to you first before I go in there. I think they may need to connect to something bigger. So really, a lot of what I do is just listening now. I'm learning to talk way less and I'm learning to witness to a life rather than <laughs> rather than witness to be a witness to, if that makes sense at all, because people really, truly, they want to be seen. And if we can help see them, it can really unlock some amazing things that God may be wanting to speak to them. So does that make sense, David? It really does. And let me go ahead and take us into a break. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted to welcome back to the show our dear friend Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He hosts two podcasts, Voices in My Head, a show featuring interviews with leading singer-songwriters and other luminaries from the media industry, and Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast celebrating the life and legacy of Fred Rogers. He's just recently released a new single based in his experiences as a hospital chaplain called As I Walk These Halls. We'll be back in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. 
There you'll find 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Today, we're delighted to welcome back our friend and friend of the show, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and currently a chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He has just recently released a new single called As I Walk These Halls, which is based in his experiences as a hospital chaplain. We'll be getting into all of that as our conversation continues today. You mentioned something before the break. You said that you are no longer witnessing to, but now you're being more of a witness with. You said that you are doing a lot less talking and a lot more listening. And in fact, you said that you're learning to deepen both your listening and your being with others. These are all incredible phrases that I think would be worth digging into on their own. But as you're saying these things, I'm having echoing in my head the lyrics of your song as I walk these halls, because some of these same sentiments show up, I'm thinking particularly in the second verse of as I walk these halls, where you're literally talking about talking less and listening more. So maybe this is a good time to begin to bring that single into our conversation. I know that you have spent years now taking your experiences and helping to reflect on them universally by by turning them into music for others, but I imagine that especially this experience of feeling called to chaplaincy, discerning that call, taking your first steps, and then going through a very intense summer where you were working in a hospital sometimes 12 hours a day or more— All of that was rich fuel for songwriting, I'm sure, but I wonder what it was like. Was this a different sort of song from other songs that you've written, or was this just kind of part of your regular process? I want to say it's different. Throughout my ministry, from the time I felt called into some form of ministry when I was a teenager, I never knew that it was going to be just one area. In fact, I've always felt like I need to just be open to wherever God calls, whenever God calls. But for some reason, it seems like it's always been connected with music in some way. Matter of fact, I've even started jobs thinking I won't be doing music at all. And a year into it, next thing you know, the main thing I'm doing is music. You know, it's it's amazing. So somehow music has always been a part. So wouldn't you know it, I thought, uh, well, I'm going to enter chaplaincy. This probably means I'm done with music. And I don't know what that means, but I don't possibly see how I can continue making music with my schedule and with what I'm doing. And wouldn't you know it, I finished a long 12-hour shift. I think it was a 12-hour. It might have been a 24-hour, but I think it was 12 hours. <laughs> and I had about five minutes left of the shift. I was just waiting on the other chaplains who were going to be coming in to replace me and I had taken a guitar with me to the office and I just sat there and started just strumming through and I thought hmm this sounds like it could be a song and then I actually the only concert I did this summer that weekend I was going off to play a concert and while I was up playing this concert the night before in in the place where I was staying I woke up in the middle of the night and this song just would not leave me. It was almost like that chaplaincy call. <laughs> it was like, I've got to write this down or, and record it or I'm going to forget it. And within an hour, you know, what started in that five minutes in the chaplaincy office at the hospital, within an hour that same night later, this song was pretty much written. And I went back and 
in the evening times because I didn't have a lot of time during the day. I started just recording it, thinking, I'm just going to try to get this out. Maybe I'll have it as a gift to my fellow chaplains who are interns this summer because we'll all understand the experience of a chaplaincy together. But I was so inspired by the work I was doing. I felt like I've been doing some of the best ministry that I've maybe done in 20 years. Somehow, which doesn't always happen, I went into my studio in my home and in the course of about a week and a half, playing all the parts, singing all the parts, everything except drums, which I had a friend play, the song was completed and it was ready. And I thought, I think this could actually be ready for a real release, not just for my friends. So yeah, so that was unusual because there've been times that I've tried to record things in my studio and it just months went by and I'm still not happy with it. This happened very quickly and it just seemed like it was a confirmation. And the more that I let my fellow chaplains listen to it, they said, this feels like the entire work we've done in our summer in one song. And I even played it for a few people that are not chaplains, nurses and people like that. And they said, this feels like what we do in our job. And it just became more and more confirmation. So uh, long story short, I plan to release the song on the last day of my CPE internship. And that was August 12th. It's also my birthday. So it was like a double celebration. And little did I know that like the Dayton Daily News released a I was on the cover of the paper that day with this song. Like local artist writes about the experience of chaplaincy and puts it into music. And the next thing I knew, I'm, I just keep getting, thankfully, I haven't done any real promoting of it. And I've had just today, CCM Magazine contacted me, said they're going to run a story on it. We've had a number of national and international outlets that have picked it up and a lot of people playing it on Spotify and Apple Music. And it just seems to be resonating. And it's one of those songs that I feel like it was just almost a gift. I, I, I Sometimes we look back at work we've done and we think, did I do that? And I know I was there. I know I was present. I know I put work in on it. But it almost feels like when I look back now, it was such a gift, a divine gift, I feel like to me anyway, if, if to nobody else, because it helped me put words into what the work I was doing now and looking for Jesus and the people that I serve. So yeah, I'm really grateful for how the song turned out. I'm grateful for the responses I'm getting, but the websites that have been reviewing it have been, it's been very well reviewed. So I hope it will be something that beyond just getting airplay, I hope it will be something that is helpful to people in the medical community, especially people who are believers. One person told me, they said, it feels like a, a song that pumps me up before I go to work because sometimes I get discouraged in the medical work that I do. And said, this kind of gives me a drive to walk in today and go, okay, this is the mission. This is why we're here. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me to hear someone say that to me last week. So yeah, I'm grateful for the song as I walk these halls. Well, and I want to continue to ask you about this, but let me just take a quick moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted to welcome back to the show today longtime friend of the show, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and recently chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. Longtime listeners will recall we've had him on the show several times before to talk about his music, and in fact, he's just recently released a new single called As I Walk These Halls, whose lyrics are based in his experience as a hospital chaplain resident this past summer. As you were talking about this, and I'm thinking about what you said before about sometimes a physician would say to you, maybe you need to go into this room first before I do. 
We've mentioned at the top of the show that my wife was a hospital chaplain for a number of years, and she's described when she had a rotation in an intensive care emergency department that there would be a point where they knew that an ambulance was coming and they knew that what was coming in was bad, and everybody who was on the team, the physicians, the nurses, and the chaplains would just take a moment and they would stand with their backs to the walls and they'd just stand in silence for a moment before that ambulance arrived. As she's described that to me, it feels like a holy moment, like a preparation. And as you're describing the way that various medical professionals and your colleagues have reacted to your single as I walk these halls, I I kind of heard that same sort of thing. Like, I need something right now to ground me before the chaos breaks loose. Now, these are all my words, not yours. As I'm saying this, does this feel to you like what you hoped the song would be? And does it feel to you like what the people who have heard the song, your colleagues and other other professionals that you've shared it with, what they're reporting to you, kind of the song does for them. I, yeah, I think it's very similar. The chorus always comes back to this phrase, give me eyes to see the holy ground I'm on as I walk these halls. And it truly is, for lack of a better word, holy ground. And I'm not sure all of us, everyone who works there would have the language to put it that way. But if we talk about what the word holy means, that means an otherness and a separateness. Unless you've actually been in that environment, the one you just described where you're in an emergency bay and you're waiting for who knows what's coming in, but you know it's bad. The ground changes. Everybody kind of changes for a moment. Sometimes it's silence. Sometimes people have their nervous habits that they do. Pins might start clicking more because people are, they become a little more nervous in that time. They're not sure what to expect. And sometimes bad news is really bad news and they don't know what's going to come. Sometimes, thankfully, it's not as bad as you thought and they get to send people home with good news. But there is something sacred in that moment. And I think if I could describe the biggest change in me and my perspective from when I started to now, it is to not expect that the people I encounter will see Jesus in me, although I always hope that will be. But it has been for me to truly look into the eyes of others and see Jesus in them. And sometimes it's that person that's cussing you out in the moment because they don't know they're in so much pain or their loved one is in pain or they need someone to direct that anger at and sometimes you represent god in the room so that's you're the one that gets the brunt of it in some of those ways but i keep coming back to i believe it's the 25th chapter of matthew and jesus tells us whatever you have done to the least of these you're doing that to me and so that means when we're in those places and we're with those suffering people and with their family members and with people who care so deeply And even the doctors and the nurses and the people that do such hard work every day so often without any applause, it's not like people are going, hey, you did a great job. They're just going one patient after another. And sometimes there's barely time to eat. You know, it's just one thing after another. I really am learning to try to look at those others and see Jesus there. What does Jesus mean when he says you've done it to me because I do believe somehow we are finding the divine in those places. I can't describe what it always looks like. I can't even tell you I always see it, 
But I have to trust that Jesus is telling us the truth in those moments. And there are moments that I think truly do become divine. And as as you said, the holy ground that we have, these sacred moments, they're just things I don't want to miss when I'm there. I want to be present for it. And I'm learning to be in the midst of it with these wonderful people. I can't tell you how much medical professionals mean to me. I know in many ways the healthcare system is broken and it's not necessarily their fault that it is. The people I work with and the people that I see, the doctors, the nurses, all the staff, even the people that clean the rooms, that walk the hallways with mops in their hands and they're unsung heroes in this. They are showing the people that they care for with their actions, not their words necessarily, but their actions are saying, I love you. And that's why I'm doing this for you. There's no reward for it other than I'm sacrificing myself. And I see it again and again. It's not just in the chaplains. I see it in the staff everywhere. So for whatever that's worth and whoever needed to hear that today, give some love to your local medical people because they, it's a tough job. It's a tough job. One of the things that is ringing out in your answer there is that in those moments, those Matthew 25 moments, it's not about Rick Lee James. It's about the person that you are with, whether it's a medical professional who is who's trying to hold it together or a person who has just lost a family member and needs somebody to cuss at or someone who's just been given a diagnosis. But what strikes me about that, Rick, is how much of a reversal that is from how we normally think about contemporary Christian music rock and roll stars. Like, the spotlight's supposed to be on you. You're supposed to be center stage. It's supposed to be about ego, 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 even in the contemporary Christian music community. And what I'm hearing you saying is that you're learning a discipline of decentering yourself in those moments. And maybe you were practicing that before, but I'm hearing it really clearly. That is the discipline when you walk into that room, is to make it not about you. Now, when I say that back to you, that way. Am I hearing you right, or would you say it in a different way? I think that's a pretty good way to state it. It's probably why I've never been a CCM rock star, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, when we're there, there's a phrase uh, that Anton Boyson, one of the fathers of the field of chaplaincy, came up with, and I say it in the song, you are there to focus on the living human document who is in front of you. And every person has their story to share, and we never know the full story. But we can find God in that story because that person has been created by this loving creator. And yeah, it really is a change in those ways. I didn't realize how many things I still had to grow in my own life about and things that I needed to work on, things I still need to work on. But even getting in in touch with my own anxieties and and things that I didn't even know were deep down in my heart. And it looks like I have another year to work on that in the uh, residency program where I know the CPE instructors are going to continue to force us to look at those things. It's almost like I've, it's almost, I can't, I, maybe it was Brene Brown who said it, like whoever it was that said, it's like the work of a, a midwife. That's what a CPE instructor is to me anyway, saying push, it's supposed to hurt. And it, it feels like that in, in some ways, because they know that they're birthing something that is new and it's going to be this amazing new life that's coming about, but those things don't come easily. And so sometimes you have to be there in those moments where you're experiencing pressure and pain and in order to find that new life. And it's very much a turning away from self, but it's also a finding of self, if that makes any sense. It's a, it's a, it's when you're not 
in the room, walking the halls, there's a lot of work you're doing on yourself. And when you're going in, it's so that you can take care of others so you're not worried so much about yourself <laughs> as you go in. So it's both and. Does that make sense, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying? It does. And what strikes me about what you're saying, I, what, what really is ringing out to me is that there's a tremendous amount of trust involved in this. You need to trust the professionals around you. You need to trust your fellow chaplains. But I'm also hearing you saying that even though it's not about puffing yourself up, you also have to trust yourself in that moment to be the most authentic, to be the most able to witness, to be the most present to, as you said, Anton Boyson's notion of this human document in front of you, that I'm hearing trust knitting all of this together. Am I onto something there, or would you say it in a different way? No, I just think you're saying it pretty well. There, There is a lot of a lot of trust involved. And some of the best times that I've had with patients are when I've just hardly said anything at all. Because what's really neat to me to discover, one thing that I'm trusting, you don't have to be a Christian to be a chaplain, by the way. There's a lot of different religions, faiths. Some people that don't even have faith, I'm finding out, are in, are in chaplaincy. But my perspective that I'm coming from as a Christian is I am trusting that each person has within them the ability to receive from the divine. And so as a Christian, I tend to look at the passage that we often look at as a gatekeeping passage where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) I tend to look at it more as an inclusive statement to say, even if that person can't name it, I believe This is just me speaking. This is not me speaking for chaplaincy or anything else, but this is me speaking as a Christian in the chaplaincy. I believe so deeply that whatever it is that is happening, Jesus is involved in that. So whether that person has been able to name it as Jesus or not, I believe that Jesus is so transcendent and so present in those moments, that person is being communicated with by the divine. And sometimes I don't have to talk. Maybe I just ask a question every now and then, and that person can find a connection. Before you know it, they have had something revealed to them, and it makes me go, wow, I'm not sure God even needed me here right now. You know, this person just connected in a new way. All we were doing was talking about fishing, and all of a sudden, that person, like, tears welled up in their eyes, and they found something that just gave them life and meaning. And for me, I go, wow, look at the way Jesus showed up today. You know, (laughs) it's good stuff. Somebody else may interpret it differently, but that's how I see it. And to me, it's a beautiful and powerful moment. So I'm learning to trust more in the one who called me is also speaking to them and calling to them in those hospital rooms. So. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Today we're speaking with longtime friend of the show, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and currently chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He's just recently released a new single called As I Walk these halls, which is based in part in his experience as a hospital chaplain. We'll continue this conversation when we come back in just a moment. 
Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Today, we are delighted to welcome back longtime friend of the show, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and currently a chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He's just recently released a new single called As I Walk These Halls, which is based in his experiences as a hospital chaplain. Well, we mentioned at the top of the show that one of the podcasts that you work on is called Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers Tribute Podcast. And you and I have worked together at various times on that podcast, delighting in and raising up the legacy and the work of Fred Rogers, because we both love Mr. Rogers. But as I've been talking to you today about your experience as a chaplain, as I'm talking to you today about Matthew 25 and learning to get your own self out of the way so that you can witness to the other in front of you, that holy human document that we were talking about in the last segment— In the back of my mind, Rick, I keep hearing Fred Rogers coming into our conversation and the way that he thought about teaching children, the way that he thought about working with others, the way that people who have been in his presence reported that he focused with them and on them when he was with them. When I'm hearing you talking, I'm hearing resonances of Mr. Rogers in this. And so I'm wondering, if you're willing, what are some of the connecting points and some of the parallels that you see between the work of Mr. Rogers and the work of a chaplain? Well, I didn't know you were going to ask that, but I'm glad you did. And I do see very clearly the connections. There's even a Mr. Rogers-inspired line in that song we've been talking about where, God, please let a word that's heard come from you today. Every time Mr. Rogers would walk into the studio, according to things I've read, his prayer was, Lord, let some word that is heard be yours. Let it be thine. So for one thing, he believed very much in the fact that he didn't have to preach in order for God to be able to speak in those moments. And so there was never, to my knowledge, a Mr. Rogers episode that aired that ever had him pulling out a Bible and giving a Bible lesson or anything like that. But I think almost anybody who has any sort of connection or any spiritual intuition would say, boy, God really showed up in those <laughs> those episodes. They would show up in the way that he believed God would speak do the words he would say to interpret for people. We would call it the Holy Spirit as Christians. But he would say that to people sometimes when they would say something good that they had received and he would off screen say that was the Holy Spirit interpreting those things for you. That's a very chaplain type thing, I think. Just helping a person pointing and say, that may have been something divine you heard today. Maybe I didn't even say that in the room. I also think the way that Fred Rogers, if you ever watch the show again, notice how few words that he uses. Even he'll talk, but a lot of his time is spent asking questions. And as I've thought about it more, I've always marveled at how is it that he made you feel listened to while he was the one on screen talking? And I think it was because, as I've thought about more and more, I think it's because it was the way he would just simply ask things or would look at things. Like there might be a segment where he would take an object, a toy or a paintbrush or something, 
and you just spend time looking at it together. You say, let's take a look at this. What do you notice about it? What do you find? That's very much the work of a chaplain. When we come in and we ask a person, tell me where you heard that first. You just mentioned this. I wonder where you got that idea. Can you tell me more about that? Or you've told me about this experience, this pain that you had. Would you mind, can we look at that a little bit more and tell me what the source of that might be? So those are some ways that I think we see Fred Rogers very much being akin to something like CPE, but also even in the way that he would teach us to connect with the things that we are actually feeling in the moment, whether it be anger or happiness or sadness, grief that we're going through. I just think he was so good at helping us not ignore those things, but to find healthy ways to deal with them. And I'm finding that as adults, so many of us have forgotten because we've buried that part of us that deals in healthy ways with our emotions. And and I so I could probably go on and on about Fred Rogers all day, but those are just a few of the things that first come to my mind. What a powerful example of someone that was teaching us just to be. And I'll close out my thoughts with the way he would close out the show every day when he would say, you know, you've made each day a special day. Do you know how? By just your being you. There's no one else in the whole world like you. And people can like you exactly as you are. And I think that whole idea of just learning to be is something so important to the work of chaplaincy. Well, we mentioned at the top of the episode that you discerned when you felt the call to go into chaplaincy, you discerned that one place to support you in that journey was the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University. And full disclosure, listeners, I teach there although I haven't had you as a student in one of my classes. But uh, those that are familiar with Loyola University know that it's a Jesuit school, and the founder of the Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola, was very keen on helping people who were in his order, but also those that were touched by the spiritual direction of those that had become Jesuits, to help to become their whole persons. And there's even a phrase in Jesuit education called cura personalis, or care for the whole person. And when I'm hearing you talking about learning to help people get in touch with themselves just as they are, I hear not only Fred Rogers, but I'm also hearing echoes of Ignatius Loyola and that notion of cura personalis. So as I'm saying that, I'm hearing you respond to that positively, but I wonder if you could say more about that. Yes, I would just say that My experience at Loyola University and my experience with a CPE program, the clinical pastoral education, they are so similar in that regard. Learning to be and to wait and helping us connect to the divine and where there might be, where the divine might be taking each of us, whichever direction that is. I can say 100%, I I totally saw the connections. As soon as I started with the CPE program, I thought, boy, this feels like being back in a class at Loyola in some ways, you know? And And that is a testament to all of the faculty, the professors, everybody on staff there, because I sensed that not only from the people that I learned from who were teaching me, but even in, in admissions, I, I felt that, <laughs> that sense when I was just trying to become a student in the first place. I felt so deeply all around with Loyola. And I just, I guess I just want to credit everyone there and say thank you 
to all of them, yourself included, even though I never had a class with you. You were instrumental in that part of the journey and in helping me come to a new place of being or a new place of understanding where I'm supposed to be. And so, so yes, a big applause. But if I can, sometimes I'll just type out bravo on social media to people whenever I'm proud of something they've accomplished. So if I could just say bravo to the way that everybody at Loyola has been I feel like availing themselves to the Lord and the work that they do, it just, it means so much to me. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted to be speaking today with longtime friend of the show, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and recently chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. He's also recently released a new single called As I Walk These Halls, which is based in his experiences as a hospital chaplain. When I'm teaching spirituality courses at... Loyola. One of the things that I start off my foundations of spirituality class with is I have my students read a couple of chapters from Ronald Rollheiser's book, The Holy Longing. And in that book, he puts forth a thesis. He says, spirituality is what human beings do with their desire. And then after that, I have them read a book called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. And her thesis is the exact opposite. She says, spirituality is what human beings do with their grief and their pain. And so I'm wondering if I can put you on the spot as you're thinking about spirituality and as you're interacting with people in this clinical setting of a hospital, if I were to ask you to sum up in one sentence what you think spirituality is what human beings do with their ex. Do you feel yourself pulled to one or the other of those poles, or would you find a different word to fill in that blank? The word I just keep coming back to is meaning. It's it's where we find meaning. And it's, yeah, without going on too long, and maybe I shouldn't say more than just that one word, I really believe that for me, and I'm not saying those other wonderful people you mentioned are wrong. They're not. That We can all be right about this at the same time. But if you think about what they said and those two extremes, I think they're still talking about this, what it means to find meaning, whether it is in grief, whether it is in joy, sorrow. We're still seeking to find meaning in it all. So... That, I'll just leave that as my one word, if that's all right. That's all right. But now I want to bring in some things that you said earlier in the conversation, because a pastor's job is to help to lead people to meaning. You open up a text and you read the text together and then maybe preach a sermon or do a Bible study and then help your congregation to wring out meaning from the text. But it's a very guided process. But earlier in the conversation, I heard you flip that around and say, but that's not your job as a chaplain. Your job as a chaplain is not to tell other people in the room what the meaning is, but to witness to them on the journey to their own meaning. Now, these are my words, not yours, but as I say that, am I hearing correctly some of the differences that we've been talking about? And even if we just stay with this idea that spirituality is what human beings do to make meaning, can we ground it there in the fact that you're not the one leading them to the meaning, but you're witnessing as they get there? Right. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I think the best distinction, again, that I can think of, instead of witnessing to and projecting it to another, we are a witness of the other. And so well, maybe I can say it best like this. Chaplaincy is a ministry of presence. So we first want to be present to self, and then we want to be present to the presence that is here, that we would call the divine presence. And we are also present to others, and that we can help others be present to the presence. <laughs> That's how I've heard it described before. And yeah, it's such a different way of ministering. But I think in many ways, it's a freeing way of ministry because it puts the responsibility upon God again to do what God does and to know it's not my job to fix. It's not my job to go in and change that person. It's my job to be a witness to them and help them. Maybe I'm steering the rudder a little bit upon the boat. But I'm certainly not rowing for them, and I'm not doing all the hard work. Each person's doing that work themselves, trying to discern and try to figure it out. And if I can just offer a little bit of change to the right, I think it was actually Dean Jones at the university there at Loyola that actually said that to us in a class one time. But he said, as your teacher, I want you to think of me less as a teacher who's just going to give you all this. And I want you to think of me more as somebody that's steering the rudder that helps us not to hit every rock inside. Uh, and I think that is more the work of what we're doing as chaplains. It's I still there's so much I still have to learn that I want to learn. But boy, that challenge of being, of finding quiet in the world that is so noisy and helping each person understand that they do have value and they do have meaning, boy, it's good work. It's hard, but good work. As we're moving towards the end of the conversation, I want to make sure that listeners hear this piece as well, because You've described earlier in this episode how sometimes you would be on a 12-hour shift at the hospital as a chaplain resident, and you even mentioned that there were some times where you were on a complete 24-hour rotation as a chaplain resident. And I think that oftentimes when we hear language of decentering the self and being there for others, that can become a recipe for disaster and collapse. And so I would love it if you would help my listeners hear some of the ways that you engaged in self-care during this process as a way of grounding and rounding out the end of our conversation. Sure. I have one way that I can point to is I'm learning to become more, more emotionally healthy in my spirituality. And partially one of, one of the practices that I have started doing because I didn't realize how unconnected to my own emotions I was. I will often sit now, almost every morning, when I have my time with the Lord as I begin the day. I'm finding that essential, by the way, <laughs> to have those quiet moments before I dive into this big day. I will sit with, you can find this online, it's called the wheel of emotion. A wheel of feelings or wheel of emotions, something like that. And as you see this wheel, it pretty much has every emotion that a human can feel. And they're all start from the beginning emotion of like happiness, sadness, sorrow, surprise, things like that. And then there's emotions that branch off from those things. And I have found it so helpful to sit with that wheel of emotion and almost like 
take my finger around and say, what am I feeling today? What is this experience that I had yesterday? What's that evoking in me? And then as I think about the day ahead, which I don't know what's going to happen, but what am I feeling in anticipation of it? What anxieties am I having? What joys am I having? What curiosities am I having? I've been jotting those down or even typing them in my phone so I can take them with me easier. It's been so helpful to me to be able to name those things rather than just jump into the day. Well, I read my Bible, I prayed, and I'm gone. Part of becoming spiritually healthy for me emotionally is to connect with those things and say, even ask the question while I'm doing it, why is this particular thing causing anxiety? And then where am I feeling it in my body? Because sometimes like in my gut, there's a real uneasiness and I'm trying to name that emotion that I'm feeling. And it's been, it almost seemed like a foreign language when I started doing that. But now I'm really starting to pay attention to it each day and think, okay, this is where I know a weakness is. And there's been a couple of times when I've been up on the floors visiting different patients. And I knew about myself probably because I spent some time that day knowing what I was feeling, where I've said, all right, I need to take an early lunch right now. And I need to go have a break and spend some time. I need 30 minutes or I need to find another chaplain and just decompress a little bit. And because if not, I'm not going to do anybody here any good right now. That has been probably what I've discovered so far. What I will discover in the next year, I don't know. Maybe I can report on it a year from now and see after I've done this for a year straight. And maybe I can report back and say, now this is what I've discovered. But for me right now, that's where I am. Really naming those emotions, seeing where they come up in my body and trying to figure out why I'm, what that might be telling me for the day has been an essential practice. Well, we will be very glad to have you come back in a year or any time to visit with us again and to talk with my listeners here on Things Not Seen. But I just want to say today, I was so moved when I listened to your new single, As I Walk These Halls, partly because of the way in which I heard you encapsulate some of the things that my wife, who was a chaplain, reported about her experiences. I am so grateful that you were able to take your experiences and put them into these words and to this music, but I'm especially grateful that you took time today to talk about it with me and my listeners. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. It's such a pleasure always. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. We've been speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, author, speaker, podcast host, and currently a chaplaincy resident at Kettering Health in Ohio. His recordings include the 2021 singles Shine a Light in the Darkness and You Are My Salvation, as well as 2019's critically lauded album Thunder. He is a podcaster who hosts two podcasts, Voices in My Head and Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast. Today we've been talking about all of that as well as his recent single, As I Walk These Halls, which is based in his work as a hospital chaplain. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. 
Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.